Morning, everyone. It's uh, great to be with you again. It's been a while since I've had the privilege of opening God's Word uh, uh, before this church, but we're going to look at what is quite simply uh, one of the most fascinating passages uh, in Scripture. So Ruth chapter 4 leaves us at a turning point between uh, in the nation of Israel and particularly her history. So we've considered in various uh, ways and in various different uh, looks at this book. It's been a while since we've uh, since we've delved into its chapters, yet now we come to its conclusion in Ruth chapter 4. So what I want to do, just by way of setting that scene again for you, is just to have a very, very brief relook through the book. Don't panic, we're not going to go back over old ground. This is simply just to paint the picture for you. So we've looked then at the chapter 1, where Stevie, all those weeks ago, introduced us to this book and introduce us to this woman, these, this little family unit, this little group of uh, Ruth, Naomi uh, and their family. And then we remind, Rich Coles reminded us that this, this book happened at the end of the time of the Judges. And now if you know anything about the book of Judges, and if you don't, then allow me just to use, use Rich Coles' summary of that to paint that picture for you, that things were, went wrong for the nation of Israel time after time after time. That's the summary of the book of Judges. And yet God would put in a new leader. And guess what? Things would go wrong time after time after time. Friends, the book of Judges is an overview of the nation of Israel. That's what happened to the nation in the Old Testament. It went well for a period of time, and then it all fell apart. Does that mean God is in control? Let's find out as we roll into Ruth chapter 4. And then, fast forward to Ruth chapter 3, where we considered this from Les Powell, that Ruth's, Les said that Ruth, in particular, the book there in chapter 3, tells us a lot about hope, it tells us a lot about faith, it tells us a lot about opportunity, and it paints for us a picture of Christ in Boaz. So that is a whistle-stop tour before the, the, the three chapters of Ruth that we've already covered. And yet there's one question that I feel from the three people that we've looked at, the three chapters that we looked at, and all the events that we considered, there's one question I feel hasn't been addressed. And that question is this. Who is the book really about? Now, there'll be those of you that will think, Ashley, it's hot. I have not got the patience, energy, or inclination for going on a random tour to prove why the, who the book really is about. It's called Ruth. The clue is in the name. Now, panic not, I've not, you know, I'm not suffering sunstroke. This is not some random fantasy. I actually believe that the book of Ruth is a picture of Naomi. And let me explain why. Cast your mind back to Ruth chapter 1. What do we read in Ruth chapter 1? Well, you see, I'm not going to do the work because I'm going to let somebody else do the work for me. Now, I read this little snippet from David Gooding's book on, uh, in fact, it was a series of lectures um, about Ruth. And so he's put it in these words, and so I'm going to simply borrow his words, because why well, do the work when somebody else has already done it for you? But I'm going to prove to you, by scripture, that this book is, in fact, about Naomi. You see, because in chapter one, that we can see that Naomi was emptied. You remember the name that she gave herself? Call me Mara. It means the Lord has brought me back empty. 
And now we have a lady then who is empty. She's bereft of a husband. She has no leader in that family unit. She has no person, no family to continue her name. Elimelech is gone and dead. Her sons are gone and dead. She is empty. And yet as we come to chapter 4, the chapter that we're going to consider together this morning, we see that Naomi is restored and redeemed. And now we're going to go on to find out why, and I'm going to explain to you why I feel that this book of Ruth is a, book, is a picture of the life of Naomi. You see, because what Naomi comes upon and what we look at as we read this chapter of Ruth, as Gemma so uh, thankfully read it together for us, we see, and there is little clues and snippets in there of Naomi's restoration. So here is a woman who was not left without a kinsman. Here was a woman who was a restorer of life. Her life was restored to her. Remember, the Israelites lived for their genealogies. Your family line mattered. And so to have something to continue that line, the significance of Ruth being and Naomi being left without one speaks volumes to us as we read this particular chapter. We have a nourisher of her old age, somebody to provide for this older lady. And what do we see? The picture of redemption in, in, in chapter 4. A son is born to Naomi. So look, let's not overlook Ruth and Boaz, okay? They are integral to this particular story. Without them, Naomi will not have this ongoing redemption. And so the book is very clear about Ruth and Boaz. It's very clear about Naomi. But what we have is that this book is also very clear about Naomi and her restoration. Now, what takes a little bit of digging, far too much digging for the time that we have together this morning, is that Naomi is a picture of Israel. And so, friends, you'll just have to take me at my word of that, or we can discuss it afterwards. You see, Naomi is a picture of Israel. God describes Jerusalem or Israel in very many places in the Old Testament as a woman. So here we have Naomi as a picture of God's chosen nation. Husbandless, destitute, broken, and leaderless. Friends, does that not sound like the picture of Israel that we had in the picture of Judges that I described at the very beginning? Here we have that lady in a dire strait. You see, yet God is not going to allow his nation to be left like that. Remember those judges. They were godless at times, hopeless at times. And the nation seemed to falter and stumble from one calamity to the next. And yet God has not abandoned them. And friends, I understand and I'm very well aware of the fact that I could be speaking to people here this morning who feel like that nation. Who feel like they are empty. Who feel like they have been left. Who feel like for one reason or another that they are hurting. Abandoned. Damaged. Maybe even like Naomi, missing someone to care for them. Or to, for someone to provide for them. Get that. 
It's very easy to stand here as a preacher and say all good things and everything is all comfortable and lovely. And I could tell you how great God is and I could tell you how fantastic it all is. And you could be sitting there thinking, Ashley, you, how dare you? You don't have a clue what I'm going through at the moment. And I don't know. But I know this. You are looking on screen there at the summation of a woman's life who went from empty to being restored. So friends, I don't know what you are going through this morning. I don't know what challenges you face. I don't know what mountains you have in front of you this very week, this very day. But I do know this. The same God that restored Naomi is the same God who, if you let him, can restore you if you have a relationship with him. And so we look at then reaching out to this almighty God. The same almighty God that Naomi reached out to. And so, friends, if that first question was a little bit simple for you to get, of who is this book really about, then let's look at this one. Is this book, is this chapter about the redemption of Naomi, the redemption of Israel, or someone else? Happy? Good. Let's move on. So, is this story a story of redemption of Naomi a story of redemption of Israel or a story of the redemption of somewhere else well let's look at the characters involved within this chapter to find out first of all we meet Boaz now Boaz is a rich landowner who has fallen head over heels in love with Ruth we find him sat at the entrance gate to the city we find him sat in a place where people met. You see, the significance of the city gate within the chapter of Ruth is very poignant. You see, God has put these things in Scripture for not just to gloss over or to brush aside as if they don't really matter within the story. To get a real understanding of what was happening, we need to understand just how important the city gate is. You see, the city gate does more than simply mark the way into the city. How many of you have ever heard of this or seen a picture of this? This is the Ishtar Gate. Yes, I can read. This is the Ishtar Gate. This is a model in the Pergamon Museum in Berlin. And the Ishtar Gate was the gateway that led into the city of Babylon. So you think that major significant city, look at that gate. You see the lions that mark the symbol of power. The animal, the strength within the power of Babylon. City gates, friends, are important. And so let's compare that to the city gate of Israel. It's not quite as glamorous. Yet it is equally significant and important. You see, because in Jerusalem, this is the city gate that signifies its power. It signifies its interest. It was where the center of city life took place. In ancient Israel, it was the time where justice was administered, where the poor could receive aid. You see, the city gate in this part of Ruth is significant. And this is why Boaz goes to where he goes to start this plan of redemption. You see, Boaz then is sitting at this city gate because he's hatched a plan. Remember, here is a man who has fallen head over heels in love with Ruth. 
and he wants to marry her. There's nothing wrong with that. Boaz is a man who recognizes his position, and he, driven by love, he decides to act. Yet there is somebody in the way. There is another unnamed redeemer. So as we draw close then to the purpose of this particular chapter and the purpose of this book in acknowledging the redemptive work of God, we see by Boaz, by his actions, a plan of great redemption. So Boaz then engages this man in conversation. He spotted him. He knows that he is a closer family member to Ruth and Naomi than he is. And so he decides that if I'm going to redeem Ruth, if I'm going to marry her, if I'm going to have this lady as my wife and we're going to have a family and my genealogy is going to carry on, he has got to get this man out of the way. And how is he going to do it? Well, he does it in a very honouring way. He does it, weirdly, by discussing land. Look at in verse 3. He does it by discussing land. You see, the elders are there to act as witnesses. They were the people that sat at this city. They were there to make that purchase legal, as Gemma read to us. And yet Boaz is a shrewd businessman. He talks about the land. He makes no mention of Ruth whatsoever. Now, does that make Boaz some uncaring, unfeeling man who simply sees, well, if I buy this land, I get a wife... Every silver lining has a cloud, I guess. You know, is, is that the way that Boaz sees this? Not in any way, shape, or form. Boaz does something very cute. He speaks to the, the unnamed redeemer about land. Naomi owns that land. Where did it come from? Could have been Elimelech, could have been another family member. Could have, we don't know. It doesn't matter. Naomi is past the age of having children, leaving no one else to continue the family line. The unnamed redeemer takes the land, brings financial cost. Looks after Naomi, brings financial cost. Has no children to inherit the land. Keeps it, sells it off when Naomi dies, recoups all his costs, and everyone is a winner. So Del Boy would say. And yet Boaz says, no, 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 no. You've got it all wrong, my friend. If you redeem Naomi, and you redeem the land, you must marry Ruth as well. She's the widow of Naomi's son. So our unnamed redeemer has now worked all these maths out in his head. He sat there counting his shekels, thinking I could get a few quid off the land, I could sell it off to some, I could sell it off to Bovis, they could put some stack it high, sell it cheap houses on there, and I'd have a quick buck, and all would be well. Now all of a sudden, there's another person in tow. And so the unnamed redeemer thinks about it like this. He marries Ruth. Significant financial cost. He must look after Naomi. Significant financial cost. He and Ruth will have a child. Significant financial cost. And on top of his losses so far, he will lose the land as that will go to the child. He never makes his money back. So he says, no, no, no. I cannot do it. I cannot redeem. You see, because he is concerned about his own name. And so he says, you do it. You redeem. So Boaz has done it. 
Out of love and putting that love into action, he has secured his place as kinsman redeemer. And now we quickly identify at the beginning of our passage that there is only one redeemer. When you look at that opening exchange in the book of in the chapter of Ruth that we've read together, we read and we recognize, friends, there is only one redeemer. That's the Redeemer that we've sung about. Remember we said that Boaz is a picture of Christ? There was only one man that went to the cross. There was only one man that was willing to give up his own inheritance to go to the cross. You see, there was only one willing, out of love, to share his inheritance. You see, the redemption of Naomi and the land is legal work. It's a legal thing. That's when you strip it all away, that's what you're left with. You're left with the legalities of Israelite law, and there must be a provider for the Redeemer for the family to carry on. Yet you see what Boaz does. Boaz makes it very clear that this is more than a picture of law. This is more than an idea of rules. Boaz is redeemed out of love. You see, friends, that is so very big a picture of Christ. Yes, the cross dealt with a very legal subject. The breaking of God's law. The destruction of the relationship between us and Christ. And yet what Christ does is he deals with the legality, but he does it out of love. Friends, do you see how Boaz is this picture of Christ? Do you see how this picture of redemption runs right the way through? And we're still in the life of Naomi. This is still the redemption of Naomi. This is still the redemption of Israel. Because, friends, one day when we stand and we meet Jesus, we will look around and we will see the nation of Israel with us in heaven as God's chosen people. And so this is how it is a picture of Naomi. Naomi is a picture of Israel. And so we are back at the city gates. Boaz makes this very public declaration of his willingness to redeem Ruth. The covenant is public. Boaz speaks to the crowd and the elders. And then we come to this rather peculiar ceremony. The ceremony of the shoe. Now when you read through scripture, there are some very peculiar ways in which covenants, promises and things are, are made. But I think this is probably the most peculiar. Now, I don't know about you. You might not like your shoes particularly, but I quite like mine. And I'm not entirely sure I'd want somebody else to go home with one of my shoes. Driving could be entertaining, but the point is, the point is there. So this we come with this ceremony of the shoe, the sealing of the deal. The ceremony does two things. One, it settles the agreement between Boaz and his unnamed redeemer. But it also removes the responsibility of the unnamed redeemer. And what we have here is a very public display of two men reaching a legal agreement, but one reaching that agreement out of love. You see, what God is doing is using a very public event to prove redemption. Cast your mind back to Genesis 15. I know, easy to do for quite a lot of you. 
Genesis 15. We get this incredible picture in Genesis 15 of a covenant that is made between God and Abram. And God instructs Abram to cut a whole raft of animals in half. I told you there were some peculiar ways of sealing a deal in, in biblical times. But God tells Abram to cut this whole raft of animals in half. Half a cow, half a goat, half a whatever. Except the birds. If I had more time, we'd talk about what that is. But he tells them to make a little alleyway, to make a, a walkway between these two animals. One half over one side, one half over the other side. What we have here is a very significant picture of the idea of cutting a covenant. What, what God is doing with Abram is God is picking up on this legal way of cutting a covenant. And so what happens is we get this very visual and a very legal way of making a promise. Because what would happen is, let's say Justin and I were going to, Justin was going to buy my house. Now, Justin and I would agree a price on our house, on my house, whatever. And then what we would do is we would walk between those pieces to seal that covenant. And what we're figuratively saying is this. If you break this deal, I'm going to do to you what I did to those animals. That's what you're saying when we, when we pick this up from Genesis 15. And then Genesis 15 goes on to talk about Abram. And he falls asleep. Well, it actually says God brings a great darkness on him and he falls asleep deep. And then God appears as a smoking firepot and a flaming torch between those pieces. What God is doing is making a very real and a very public and a very legal covenant with Abram. Because he is saying, I will redeem you. Because where is Abram at this particular point? fast asleep there's no relevance to him whatsoever he plays no part in it fast forward then to the cross fast forward then to that picture of the hill outside jerusalem imagine being those people and seeing that cross on a hill what have you got you've got a very legal a very visual and a very clear picture of god saying this is the way to be redeemed. Friends, isn't it incredible how Scripture runs through, the themes run through, we go through from Genesis to Ruth to the cross. And the meaning is the same. We get a very visible covenant, not now between two men, as we had outside the city in the ceremony of the shoe, but rather between God and man. God says to his son, you go and make that physical agreement you go and deal with the law you go and prove that you are my way of redemption and so all this links together this picture of christ running through scripture and so boaz redeems the land boaz redeems ruth the picture of Christ is plain for all to see. Christ died for a land. What? You just said Christ died for us. Let me explain. You see, what we have here is the proof of our redemption. 
by looking for what Boaz does, by Boaz being a picture of Christ, by looking at the cross, we have seen that God is proving that we are a redeemed people if we look upon that cross, we believe in it, and we give our lives to Christ. But Christ died for a land. Let's go to Revelation. The book of Revelation, chapter 11 and verse 15 says this, you can read what you want to read from the top, but I want to pick up the bits in bold. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Friends, where is the kingdom? The kingdom is in land. Do you get the significance now of why Boaz starts by talking about a land? Because Boaz is a picture of Christ, and Christ himself will inherit a land but and then we come to the more amazing part of this particular account we see that much more than just a land christ will inherit a bride let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come he and his bride Gents, did you know that one day you will be a bride? I mean, anything's possible in the world nowadays, but there will be a day when we will all be the bride of Christ. Just as Ruth is the bride of, of, uh, of Boaz, just as Sarah was the bride of Abram, the picture is clear. You inherit a land. With that land comes a wife. Christ will inherit the land. Comes with the land will come a wife. You see, it was Gaskell that said this, Boaz is a type for the Lord. It's Jesus who owns the field. How significant is that in the story of Ruth? And who marries those who were formerly foreigners and strangers, but who put their trust in him and become his bride, the church. Friends, the bride of Christ is a massive topic. We do not have time to go into it now. We'll leave it for another day. But the link between the redemption brought about by Boaz and the link between Christ and the redemption here is clear. Redemption comes by land and it comes by marriage. You see, because we inhabit the land that Christ will, be, will, will have as his inheritance. We are the bride of Christ that Christ will have as his inheritance. We, the church, Boaz, redeemed a land that belonged to Elimelech. Christ redeemed a land that belongs to God. Boaz inherited a wife. Her name was Ruth. Christ will inherit a bride, and her name is the church. Can you see the significance? Can you see the importance of this tiny little insignificant book that sits in the middle of the Old Testament, and just as an aside, if you look at the scriptures chronologically, Ruth doesn't move. The significance of this little book. So as we move on to the end of the chapter, we're now given a glimpse of a wedding. We're now given a picture of these two men and women becoming man and wife. We're given a picture of a wedding breakfast. Now, there are many of us that have sat in wedding breakfast. Some of us have enjoyed what we've eaten. Some of us have suffered what we've eaten. Some of us have listened to some good speeches. Some of us have listened to some speeches that you think, if only you took five minutes preparing that better, my day would not have been quite so funny. 
But we come to the picture of a wedding breakfast. And we get this rather odd blessing. And I say it's odd when you understand where it comes from. You see, it comes from the picture of Genesis chapter 38. Now, Genesis chapter 38 is not a chapter that is often read in church. I want to give you one small piece of homework. When you're sat in the garden this afternoon, go have a little read of Genesis 38, and you will become very apparent to you, and it will become very clear why it isn't often talked about in church. You see, the story is seemingly one of disaster. Yet when we read the latter verses of chapter 4, we read that one of the main people within that story, a lady named Paris, is mentioned. The similarities run as follows between Tamar and Ruth. See, because Tamar was the mother of Perez, and Perez the son of Tamar. And we get this, the two comparisons between the two ladies. They both maintained the line of the king. And yet these two women have completely different stories. Ruth was a picture of love and devotion and redemption, falling in love with a man who would rescue her from poverty and destitution. Tamar was a lady who was subject to the whim of her father-in-law with lots of money and looking for a good time. And yet the stories of the two women couldn't be more contrasting. Yet they both have a vital part to play in the land of the Messiah. You see, because these two ladies maintained the line of the king, and yet they were both Gentile. So God is interested in Gentiles. God is interested in us. And yet both of these ladies have this incredible part to play in the line of the Messiah. So fast forward that period of time then, now to verse 13. And we find that Ruth is pregnant. And we come to this, the result of our redemption. So we come to the final few verses of this pivotal book in the Old Testament. We see that God's providence again has come to the fore. Ruth, the Moabite, is pregnant with the next child in the genealogy of Christ. Earlier, I asked a question. Is this redemption of Naomi, of Israel, or someone else? You see, I believe in what Scripture says and where we are back with Naomi. The lady for whom God left empty is now restored. As she held that small, tiny baby in her lap, she is reminded that the Lord has not left her. As I said, friends, I could be speaking to people this morning who feel like the Lord has left them. And yet what we see from this account in the account of Ruth is that God is not distant. You haven't been abandoned that God has his hand of providence on you in the same way that he did with the life of Ruth and Naomi. You see, I know that may seem like empty words. As I said, there'll be those facing challenges that seem insurmountable. Yet Ruth faced a challenge that looked exactly like that. She was a stranger in a foreign land. She had no husband. She had no family. She was penniless and homeless. And yet, friends, God 
brought her through. God brought her redemption. Listen, there might not be a Boaz round the corner, but there is a Jesus. There might not be a Boaz, a tall, dark, handsome, stranger waiting to make your life significant and meaningful. But there is a Christ who had no beauty that we might behold him. Yet, friends, we have a Christ who sticks closer than a brother. We have a son who left heaven itself to be our redeemer. And yet when you strip away the book of Ruth, you find the restoration of Naomi. She is a type of Israel. David Gooding put it to this, that what this marvellous testimony is, as Ruth the Gentile talked to Naomi the Jewess, and what a thing it shall be for Israel when the kingsman redeemer will acknowledge his bride has not merely before the gate of some little insignificant village in Judah, but before the resplendent gates of heaven itself and before the whole universe, he will acknowledge, and rather he will be acknowledged and take himself his bride. And when that full complement of Gentiles have been brought in, what then? Then Naomi, Israel, will come into her fullness. So as we have arrived at this end of this little book in Ruth, we find ourselves in this incredibly pivotal moment, a real change in Scripture. The judges have gone. Their disastrous history, longed, destined to be learned from by Christians up and down the centuries. The men and women who arguably brought about the nation of Israel to its lowest point, now replaced with a baby. The child given to Ruth and Boaz is given the name Obed. You see, his lineage continues in the few verses of the chapter. His lineage lives on to this very day. His offspring is sat right now at the right hand of God. And one day, when we will understand that there is one Redeemer, that he is the proof of our redemption, that he is the result of our redemption, our worship of him. And finally, we will then know the joy of our redemption because we will see Christ face to face as he is. You see, friends, we will know that joy, that we will be with him as scripture says, that we will be like him, as scripture tells us, that we will be where he is. That we will acknowledge, as we read in Jeremiah earlier, the Redeemer is strong. The Lord Almighty is his name. The judges have turned to kings. The very next book is the book of 1 Samuel. The book of 1 Samuel is the life of the beginnings of the life of David, perhaps Israel's greatest king. Jesus himself is, without a shadow of a doubt, Israel's greatest king, both as Israel's rightful king and the redeemer of the world. So, is the book of Ruth 
about the redemption of Naomi, of Israel, or someone else. Friends, I close with this. We are the benefits of the redemption of Israel. We are the benefits of the redemption of Ruth. We live in the benefits of the redemption that Broaz and Ruth brought together. You want to see where that redemption ends? Go and read Matthew chapter 1. Because ultimately, it ends with Christ. Father, we come before you. We thank you for this incredible account, this incredible story of redemption. Lord, we thank you that this didn't happen by accident. It didn't happen by happy coincidence. It happened because you ordained it in this way. That, Father, we saw the judges and the disaster that they made of things. And, Father, now we move to kings. And we see that ultimately the world was in a disastrous place. And yet one day we await the return of the king. But in the meantime, Lord, we thank you that you are our rock and our redeemer. And so, Lord, as we close our time looking at this book of Ruth, we pray that we will see something fresh from it. Lord, help us to be challenged in the way that we live our lives before you knowing that we are a people redeemed by the blood of Christ. Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. Bless it to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.